0: Welcome to the 56th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spawn.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers, ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are, and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half, we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Rack and Ruin by LifeSpark Entertainment. Taylor, please! Do introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you do?
1: Hello, uh, I'm Tyler Hunter. I'm the founder of LifeSpark Entertainment, uh, the maker of the game Rack and Ruin, which just came out.
0: It did, actually, as of today in America. And then Thursday in old-timey land, I think.
1: Actually, old-timey land, uh, (laughs) maybe a week or two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's outside your control, isn't it? Yeah, so old-timey land. It's past F2A, so it's done. In terms
1: of like, it's ready to go out. It's 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 just they have to slot me, and then I'm then it's out. Yes,
0: um, I don't know why we take so long to check these things. I mean, has it been localized into like six languages or something? Or
1: it's efix, so it's English, French, Italian, German,
0: and Spanish. Right. I'm assuming you didn't do that yourself.
1: <laughs> no, I, I hired <laughs> translators to do
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> then you really would be um, a yeah, polymath. So. How did you make your start making video games?
1: So I started making video games, I guess, technically in middle school, designing levels for Doom.
0: Oh, right. The WAD files.
1: Yes. Yeah. And then I moved on to Quake. Right. And then I moved on to Unreal Ed, which was a lot easier to do than Quake. Right. And then I moved on, and then I actually stopped designing levels for video games and started being really interested in doing art for video games because I read online... I think, from like John Romero or something that said, hey, you want to be a game artist, you need to download 3ds Max and get really good at it and spend lots of hours being really good at it to get a job in the game industry. So I then spent the last year of high school playing around in 3ds Max, and then I went to college for art, and about halfway through college, I'd been practicing so much at 3ds Max that I started doing contract work for... A company called Liquid Development, and I worked on the now defunct Ultima Online X, which is the second Ultima Online that was cancelled
0: by EA. Oh, I remember that when that happened. Yeah. They did a big like, funeral pyre thing. They danced around it. It was quite. <laughs> they took all the design documents and set them on fire. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
1: I'm not really <laughs> sure. They scuttled um, Origin shortly thereafter. Didn't and and- Remember?
0: I think you might be right, yeah.
1: That was sort of the beginning of EA's Let's Scuttle Studio. I actually was just a contract artist. I know no. was outsourced, so I really don't know anything about that.
0: I wasn't. I yeah, was, I wasn't going to delve into that. It'd be wrong with me anyway. But uh,
1: doesn't. Yeah, in- and I don't know anything because I was literally, I literally was done working on the project before it was canceled. Oh, okay. And then I, and then towards the end, I actually did three models for Prey, which actually was a good game. <laughs> it
0: was. I enjoyed Prey. Uh, I know we got a lot of negativity because ultimately it was way too easy because you just resurrected and then carried on shooting. But, um, yeah, I like that game. Same Prey 2 never came to being. Yeah.
1: Cool? yeah. I, well, I, I think, think the, the... Who made Prey 1? It was... Oh, it was um, Human Head. Yes. Yeah. And then I moved... So after that, and then when I graduated, um, I could have kept working contract, and my one of my teachers was like, I was like, well, I can apply for some dream jobs. And my teacher was like, you should do it and because it doesn't really matter if you don't get them. So I applied to like Blizzard and ILM and um, a couple other places. Okay. And I got a job at Blizzard Cinematics. Wow. And I worked there for seven years.
0: <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a dream, apparently. I think
1: yeah, and so i that so was, did that,
0: you did you do like the three d renders the videos, or was it the games, or can you tell me or not you can yeah so
1: i worked on i worked in the game a little bit um i worked on and I actually really enjoyed it because I had been a game artist before, and I really enjoyed working on um world of warcraft expansion um three d models for the characters and those, and uh but mostly I did uh three d art for the cinematics
0: um which is highly celebrated so well done, that man, because they are—you know—they're world-breaking. I mean, it's amazing how the, just the, yeah, the, the attention to detail—that's what really throws me about those videos that Blizzard do. It's just, the, yeah,
1: we we put a lot of hours into, um, or we did put a lot of hours into
0: every know. little hair in a dwarf's yeah. slight beard had to move just so. I'm sure yeah, there's was a person or a team that was dedicated to beard movement of dwarves.
1: We, I, I <laughs> saw my famous story. Is that there's, so you know the, um, the building about a marine cinematic. The one uh, where they,
0: oh, dig- is it the one with the StarCraft Two one? You mean?
1: Yeah, the StarCraft Two one. one. Yeah, we sense? spent like a week on bolt placement for the door. <laughs> that opens in the beginning. Yeah. We 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 sat around and polished the bolt layout for a week.
0: I'm going to watch that again after we record this show, just to sink in like a week just for some bolts, which are on screen for what two seconds? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, so that 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 cinematic, the the environment that he's in, so like the the whole room that he's in. Yeah. Um, I built that room and it took a year. Wow. So that's the kind of yeah. So they you that's it's very focused. You get there and you're like, you're gonna work on this you know character from the cinematic for seven, eight, nine, ten
0: months. You know, buildings are constructed in that time. <laughs> <laughs> it's always made this detail too. Yeah, that's. I mean, you hear stories about when the the people do uh, Weta Studios who did the uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, and how they did – I remember watching a documentary about how they did um, Tower of Orthanc and how it sort of crumbled and the eye sort of winked out. And the, the one chap spent the whole Christmas just animating it, collapsing, apparently. And
1: Oh, wow, yeah, doing the rigid body collapse. That, yeah. I could imagine, was pretty gnarly. Yeah, those can be tough. Like, it's not so simple when you see a movie and you see, like – a million things collapsing all over the place and you're like yep some poor guy probably spent like <laughs> three months doing that
0: yeah, i suspect you can't watch films with cgi in them because you're just sitting there weeping like the poor poor person whoever <laughs> it was
1: yeah sometimes i look at it and i'm like wow that must have taken a lot of work especially <laughs> like newer stuff where it's really crazy like when i watched um was the movie that I watched recently, and I was just like, How did they ever get this all done? Was um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is a pretty I good I was example. about
0: to volunteer that, yeah. The suspect it was going to be that because some yeah. of it is just ridiculous. But yeah, there's a yeah, lot that, of stuff. That film is ridiculous, ridiculously good, but it is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, wow, that's sobering. So you spent so, seven years doing that, which is, you know, I've got to take my head off to you and go, wow, yep, no pun intended. Nice
1: so job. it was a really good job, and I really loved it. So I didn't leave, I didn't get fired, or I didn't leave in bad terms. I actually really loved working at Blizzard. Um, So I left because I wanted to do something new. I wanted to make a video game. So so that's what happened. Basically, so the end of Blizzard, Um, at, at, after about seven years, I was seeing... You know games like uh, I think some some cool indie games. I was really a big fan of of Cave Story and like Studio Pixels work, and I saw how this guy can make a whole game by himself, and it's so good. And I was like, so, and I was it was just it wasn't really viable when I started. Like there wasn't really like Cave Story's release is free. Like no one just assumed you could you know actually attempt to make one of these things and you know support yourself. And so I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. And so I kind of just quit and said, I'm going to go make a game. And then three years later, I finished it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, every developer I speak to, and I say this, and it's not cliche. Well, cliches exist because they're true. You and I know this. Um, but one of the things I, I hear is that the hardest thing to do is to finish the damn game um, that you're making. You know, you can do concepts and proof of concepts and throw in ideas and constantly massage it and develop it and develop it. But to finish one, to actually say the phrase, and you may balk at this, but it's good enough, which someone coming from Blizzard probably doesn't really understand, but it's, it's good enough. It doesn't mean it's shit or bad. It's just like it's not, nothing's going to be perfect, but it's good enough. It's finished. And that's, that's what every developer has to embrace at some point. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, um getting the game done is 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 definitely um the hardest thing and then I think also like and I've, even now I'm like I don't want to let I see people say things I'm like I I can still fix that like I yeah. can still patch okay. that. It's not yeah. out on PC yet. I can still, you know, um you know, fix things about it that I don't really it wasn't intentional at the development. And so and and yeah, from from my background where I come from a background where literally there is nothing is done. They just they just kind of say, oh, well, you're, we'll, we'll take it.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, the whole concept, whereas in many creative endeavors, good enough does exist. Um, because otherwise the thing wouldn't be made. Okay. It's just a philosophy. It's it sounds really negative. I could say, way I describe it. It's just embracing the concept that no, that's, that's it. You're done. It's good enough. We could sit here and try to seek perfection, but we're not going to get it. Um, you know finish it
1: uh, Usually, (coughs) excuse me I didn't mean to cough Uh, usually the line is usually at least when I've tried to over the years is the point of diminishing returns where you start to develop something and you yourself can't make it any better if you keep working on it you need someone else to either look at it or someone else to work on it or someone else to do something with it but there is a point of diminishing returns where you sort of get to this point where you're like uh, if I I mean, I could keep making on this thing, but I'm not sure it's actually going to make it any better because I'm not sure what needs to be done to actually make it in the right direction that I'm sort of done with my path on it, right?
0: Yeah, you're too close as well. You're right up against that coal face. So that maybe you need that third per person sort of objective, like, oh, yeah, this is fine. But you can't see that because you, all you see is a wall of coal. And what we see is a huge amount of coal that you've actually created. It's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going with that metaphor, but you know what I mean. Um, or dog, I should say. Not created. You don't create coal. Um, what are your biggest influences then? As a for, creator?
1: For, just, for, it depends. Um, I have a lot. Yeah. As an artist, um, uh, just drawing and painting, I was uh, always very influenced by like. Old like Dungeons and Dragons fantasy painters, right. like from like the when I was playing D and D as a kid. So you're talking Braum, Larry Elmore, Jeff Easley type people.
0: Okay,
1: and as it's I they have moved, a very
0: stylized sort of very definite style to them, didn't they? It? It's very, it's very clean. I found um,
1: pol- very polished oil very polished. paintings that yeah. are sort of a not really done as much anymore because more modern fantasy art is a little bit looser, a little bit um, more more taking the advantage of what a computer can do to get to, to play with light more than those guys. Um, You can do more cool lighting with a computer faster because you have so much more um, ability to do broad changes quickly. Whereas those things, they were very like corner to corner, you know, rendering the entire painting and the ability to play with lighting isn't as easy, I guess you could say. Um, whereas in a modern computer program, so you often get modern fantasy art is much more lighting driven, which creates these more dynamic images. Um, but then they have less of that, like absolute, like, like every centimeter of the thing is polished to an nth degree. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so I was really into that drawing as a kid and those guys probably are my biggest influence growing up. And then, but then, as I is from from a and then from a game design perspective, um, I think I um, I'm a big fan of like um, the works of Pixel, who's the Cave Story guy.
0: Oh yeah, um, yeah.
1: And I'm a big fan of um, like like class, some some classic style 16-bit era games, but they're kind of hand selected like. Obviously linked to the past. If you play wreck and Ruin, it's pretty obvious. Um, and then stuff <laughs> like on Fantasy VI, and then maybe from the Super Nintendo like Crystallis and Faxanadu, and some of those more adventure RPG style older games. And then as we move into the newer world, it's more like um like more PC-centric stuff like Baldur's Gate, um Dark Souls on PC, and um you know, I actually really want to play Pillars of Eternity. <laughs>
0: Which I've I started playing. It's a glorious, glorious game. It's actually a Kickstarter game that isn't bad. I know. Shock. Sorry. That's that's terrible. Um uh, but I'm just making reference to Mr. Molyneux. Thanks, mate. Um but it's quite interesting that uh you know, I mean I could talk about Pillars of Eternity for ages, but I won't because it's not about me or that game. Um and I don't want to spoil it for you, but it is excellent and you're good to want to play it because it deserves people's attention but i think just going back a bit in your history of like games that have, and, and artists have influenced in the past i mean i'm a journalist but speaking personally i've always loved uh, roger dean work um i don't know if you remember because growing up in the uk you really didn't have nintendo influence as much as north america did you know this uh, and it's definitely well known but you know for years there was a sense that nintendo was worldwide when it wasn't um, they did eventually arrive in Europe, but all their consoles were fifteen percent slower because of PAL. Oh. Um, yeah, so we had black borders in our in our games, and the games were slower because of we have you know PAL television screens have more scan lines on them, uh, much more. And because of that, the, the the video game consoles were designed for North America and Japan with NTSC, which has less scan lines. So in order to get over that in in sort of PAL territories. They basically just put black borders up and slowed the game down. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so because of that, um, the culture in the UK and you know, is been uh, old computers, eight bit computers. You know, the Spectrum, the Amstrad, the BBC, uh, calls the Commodore sixty four. That sort of stuff. That's how we grew up, and then we played the Amiga machines as well. So. You know, a lot of the, the tropes and things that you make, take for granted that people know about the Zelda constructor or Castlevania. It's not something that's that well up until very recently, particularly well known in, in Europe. Because we didn't grow up with Zelda that much. We didn't really grow up with Mario. It was all a bunch of other games we were playing that were really weird that were all Amiga games and stuff like that. And, we know, Starglider or, you know, Lords of Midnight and stuff like this. All very, very bizarre games um that uh most of which weren't even platformers they were just these you know really, really weird and esoteric games in a good way and that's why the the the, the, the way of uh, video games evolved in the uk and europe is somewhat different to the rest of the planet as with north america uh i do find that north american games do harken back to nintendo's uh, NES, time, nes years as, as as there's nothing wrong with that that's this that's what happens. You know, you get influenced by what you grew up with and what you experience. within the UK, we come up with things like GTA, and it's just this just, is just the way it is. It's just there's definite cultural difference. I don't want to highlight differences between the two nations or two regions, but they are there, and we have to accept them. And I just find it interesting that that's where you draw from your influences. So, do you agree? Do you see that?
1: Yeah. Um. Actually, it's kind of interesting. Um. I've noticed that European um, like games that are popular in Europe tend to be more. They tend to really Europe tends to really embrace like really hardcore strategy games, turn-based strategy games. Am I correct in that assumption?
0: I guess. I mean, if it's not FIFA, <laughs> um, yeah, we we would. <laughs> I had to say that. Um, we we do embrace um, a lot of like Europa Universalis, for example. That's one that that's the deep deep strategy game um and that's really something that we do latch on to we love civilization and of course the um uh beyond civilization and stuff so or beyond earth I can't remember what it's called now but yes all that stuff you know the 4x games we adore um so yeah i think that's a fair fair thing to say but we do like our arcade games don't get us wrong you know we we now i think there's general that difference has started to blur quite a lot over the last 10 years but up until then there was a definite gorge like a, a chasm between the two uh two cultures and you know um and there's still a little bit of that but ultimately i think it's all sort of blending into a lot more than it was before i just wanted to sort of highlight the fact that this game we're talking about today. Black and Ruin. is very much inspired by a, a, a raft of games. Not just Zelda. Far from it. And I want to tease that out of you later on. But uh, is there anything else on influences?
1: Oh, I mean, there are lots. I mean, so that's from a game. But then, of course, art changed. Um, big fan of Dolly, Velasquez. I'm just dropping names now. Yes. Uh, Sar- J. Senior Sergeant. Like, these are all very famous artists. And I think, you know, more modern guys like... Uh, Craig Mullins is obviously a big influence. He's a very good artist. And um, and then, you know, still from games like... Uh, particularly Wreck-and-Ruin, I actually have a strange love of Japanese bullet hell shooters. And I actually am a very big fan... Really?
0: Mostly... <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and, I, and I actually generally prefer mostly, um, with the exception of like games like RPGs from Bethesda and games from Blizzard and Valve, um, I tend to prefer games from Japan. Like, I like, um, um, you know, Zelda and Dark Souls and Ikaruga and even the indie games, I like Japanese indie games. I tend to like maybe their design decisions and, and not necessarily like, um, like I want the best games from Japan. Like, I don't necessarily will play any, you know, you know, not high, not great game. I usually, the you know, like stuff from Nintendo and stuff from, um, you know, like some of Capcom's better games and some of the more, you know, slip more, you know, tightly polished and, you know, because th- I think there's a better sense of like uh, maybe a sharpness and a, and a depth that's a, a different kind of depth and I've always sort of gravitated toward those uh, styles of gameplay.
0: There is something there. They've definitely got something. Sometimes they get it profoundly wrong. Um, some of the Final Fantasies likely have been a bit... Hmm. But um, sometimes they get it very, very right. Dark Souls, Bloodborne, being good examples. Uh, Persona, all those games, yeah, uh, just amazing. Um, The the, the, those those. um, So yeah, sometimes they get it really right. Nintendo, in my opinion, are just you know sometimes they get it wrong, but nine times out of ten they get it very, very right, and they really understand what games are.
1: I would love to go to the design, because Nintendo has a design school, and you go there and you learn how to design games. Uh, that seems like the best place to go for any game designer, would just to, to be able to take that school. Yeah. I'm sure they would, you would learn so many valuable lessons about game design, because they obviously know how to design a video game. And and they do a good job, because they're, their systems are all basically sold on the backs of games they make.
0: Yeah. And I've said to other developers when they brought out platformers, I said, uh, "So when you were making this game, did you play any Mario's at all? Any one of them? Doesn't matter. Just one Mario game, did you?" Uh, and there's like a blank. Like, no, you really, really, really should, because they're really, really, really good. And um, you know, it's it's, tr- it, it's 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 difficult when you're making a game and you just don't want you know you're focusing on the on what you're creating. But honestly, there's nothing wrong with just sitting there and enjoying something that A, is finished, and B, is polished to the nth degree. And it could be any of the Mario games, I think. Maybe not Sunshine. <gasps> Shock. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if you just enjoy that and see what they've done with it, I think what I always say to developers and platformers is, you know, if your controls are a bit, I'm going to say, it, floaty, then there's something wrong. You know, because the point of a platform is it needs to be snap and sharp, in my humble opinion. It needs to be responsive and sharp and quick, and you know you as the player should not be feel that you're being punished by the game for its flaws. It should be the other way around. When you make a mistake, it's entirely the player's fault, not the game's fault. And it does, it can be a, a difficult thing, a difficult thing to balance. What do you think?
1: I agree a hundred percent, and it. It should be, and it has been my priority, and I don't know if I was successful, um, to really make sure that the controls in the game are very sharp, yeah. and that there's never like lag or physics delay. Like you shouldn't, you should try to avoid like weird inertia, because um, the player doesn't want to have to fight your physics. No. They want to to be very like when they press go it goes when yes. they move here it goes, and that should be the most important aspect of development. So you have to spend a lot of time polishing that aspect of it. Um, but then there's other aspects. Is the more complex your game system gets, the more difficult it can be to polish that. Um, but yeah, from a, pla- a platform from building a platformer, yeah, you should definitely play Mario.
0: <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, he's slightly laughing at it, but I genuinely really believe. Like, have you? Or when was the last time you did? And there's a like a pregnant pause, right? <laughs> and that's a problem, you know, because I genuinely believe Mario's is one of the one of the best, if not the best, platform games out there. Um, I'm not going to say the best because that's wrong, because there's others out there that are probably forgetting, and people yelling at me down the their, their iPod as they're listening to the show. But uh, yeah, something I often say to developers like, when's the last time you played Mario? Oh right. You know, and it's important that they do. Because it is to learn from the best, so to speak. So I think I know the answer to this next question because we mentioned them already, but I may be wrong. What developer do you most admire in, in the industry and why? Um but, uh, it, can, it can be a person or it can be a you know you know So I couple. think I, I think
1: I sort of so I think Pixel is probably the person I admire the most. Right. Uh, uh who made Carablaster Cave Story um Guxt, which is a sort of a l- low and little project and a bunch of and a lot of other little tiny games um and I think it's because he makes well he does does it all himself he makes writes the music does the art and and then he also is a really really good game designer
0: That's really uh, rare isn't it? I mean that's a
1: to have all those skills and have them work together yeah. so in sync and then yeah. to be Super humble about it and just say, Oh, I just like making cool games.
0: Yeah, is, no ego. Like, this, that's yeah, just stands by this work and says, You know, I, I, I'm i successful because people like my stuff because I make good stuff. But he'd never say that. This is great.
1: No, and i met him, he's nice, um, at PAX. And, um uh, and, and actually, Carablaster Blaster was my favorite game of last year, um, more so than uh, <laughs> the somewhat disappointing Dark Souls 2. And so, <laughs> So yeah, I I I love his work. So I I hope he keeps making games because I'll always be playing them.
0: Yeah, mine was Elite Dangerous because I like spacey games. But hey, I really liked Elite Dangerous from last year. That was awesome.
1: Oh yeah, that was like the. It was sort of like a, a roguelike like um, free space, right?
0: Mm, kind of. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, I never really thought of it that way, but you do actually genuinely fly between planets. But it's like it uses you know real physics to slingshot around planets and stunning it's just the sense of speed in that game is amazing by all means watch it on youtube just to check it out for yourself when you actually accelerate up to a light speed and just go jumping off it's terrifying <laughs> it's so good so that's what that's what drew me in the fact that you do really feel you're exploring the universe uh, it's good stuff it's good stuff that sounds
1: actually pretty cool. I yeah, I like the idea of the physics the whip, the physics whip on the planet. That sounds
0: pretty yeah, really cool. It's really good. Just to you know, in the combat you actually feel like when you hit when you hit the hull of a ship, it's really satisfying crunch when you when you're you're whenever you're firing it, just goes crunch, crunch, and like, yep, yeah! he's going down, he's going down and then flames start billowing out of it. It's just terrific stuff.
1: And and it's an online game, right? You play multiplayer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can chuck t- 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 around and then you see someone like Friend or foe, friend or foe, foe, foe. foe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's terrific stuff. I, I, uh, it's yes, yeah, very involving. Uh, people do use big, sort of, you know, um, uh, dual throttle and joystick, but I don't. I just use a 360 controller. It's perfectly adequate because um, I, I just prefer it. But uh, most people don't, but I like doing it like that way. It's just the fact that it's sitting on my desk, I just pick it up, play it, and it's fine. Gotta use the keyboard at the same time as some things, but most of the time you're just using the, the, the uh pad. It's good. It's good.
1: I've heard good it, things, yeah. Sounds sounds really good.
0: It is. It's just it's based on the old Elite game, of course, from way back. Are you familiar with that? Are I'm you? actually not. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I I gonna tell you the story then. Um Elite was made on an eight-bit computer called the BBC B, which is a, a a computer that the uh BBC actually commissioned to make to put in schools in the UK back in 1983, I think. So it's a long time ago. But uh, David Braben made this game called Elite when he was in university studying physics. And um, the thing, the reason I bring this up, the reason it's so remarkable is that they only had 22 kilobytes of RAM to work with. That's all they had, 22 kilobytes of RAM. And somehow, using procedural mathematics and, and methods he developed a way to actually have the computer create the content. So it would create the content, you'd go through that content, and then it would delete it. And then it would randomly generate more content based on this mathematical algorithm. It's quite extraordinary. But he managed to put eight galaxies worth of planets, cultures, all sorts of things in 22 kilobytes of RAM. Wow, that's actually really cool. It is really, really cool. And <laughs> considering the average email is four times as big as that, It just goes to show that those developers back then had to jump through the extraordinary gymnastics uh, with regards to assembly and code and stuff, the like of which we wouldn't even, you know, attempt now. Maybe we do, but in different ways. But that was very, very, you know, to the hardware sort of thing. That's all it could get to, you know, because the the powers of those machines were, were terrible back then. But here we are 30 odd years later. He's made another game. Same man. He made Elite. He did it again.
1: Oh, is, did, did, did he have a? Was Elite Dangerous like a Kickstarter? How did he fund yes, it? Yes, he funded it on Kickstarter.
0: Awesome. That sounds yeah. cool. It's so cool. So uh, yeah, go check it out. It's a Elite's a, like a seminal sort of game because it was the first ever sandbox game. So it, with that, then it led him to GTA and stuff like that. So because you could literally fly around the universe, do what you like. So. <laughs> <laughs> on a, on twenty two kilobytes of RAM.
1: Crazy. Yeah, that's that's impressive. I, it, I it, what system was that originally released for?
0: It was on the BBC, BBC computer.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: they did release it on the NES as well, but only in oh. Europe.
1: Only in Europe. I never heard of
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> and what? The, yeah, quite extraordinary. I played the NES version. It's really weird. They use a menu system to to uh, to control the ship. You know, you only got a d-pad and two buttons or four buttons and uh, it's very very inventive how they did that but uh, speaking of games that we're playing what are you playing right now apart from Rack and Ruin of course I am
1: playing I'm actually trying to finish up my backlog which includes I am actually trying to finish Dark Souls 2 I'm a huge Dark Souls fan I am not a huge Dark Souls 2 fan and I'm at the very end of the game and I'm kind of bored which is kind of (laughs) sad (laughs) that's sad I'm not even dying, I'm just ripping everything to shreds because I played Demon Souls and Dark Souls, and I played about 250 hours of Dark Souls, so I'm kind of like, eh, this is um, a, an indie game that I'm trying to finish that I liked that came out a while ago called Volda Story, um, and I'm trying to then finish on, uh, um, well, <laughs> this may get me in trouble, I'm playing Mother 3. Why would that get you in trouble? Because it's not available in the United States. Oh, well, okay. Playing it with conventional means.
0: Right. So you've what? It imported or something? I don't know.
1: Uh, no, there's only one okay. way to get that game in America.
0: Is there? Right. You can't yeah. import it.
1: Um, so there is in, okay. but there is a um, a fan, like an incredibly good fan patch.
0: Oh, that was- changes it all into English, right?
1: They translated it to English, and good. it's really good. Yes, like it's yeah. very well done. That's, that's it's probably the, better than any localization company could have ever done.
0: Yeah. So
1: actually, and the downside to the game is that the combat system is a little weird because it's it's actually a rhythm game, right? But unless you have the original cart and you're playing it on a GBA, it doesn't really work.
0: Is that what it came out on then? A GBA.
1: It was a GBA game in Japan only.
0: Wow. Okay. Oh, um, so that's what I've been playing. <laughs> those, that's, those that's cr- games. No, that's great. I mean, when I, when you said I'm going for my backlog, that really tells me that you do actually play games because there's, there's I do love to hear developers say, "Oh yeah, I'm not you know when I'm finished coding or creating what I'm doing, I'm more than willing to pick up something else, and it could be anything." And it's, I mean, your 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 view on Dark Souls again, like you. I played Demon Souls. Um, I actually imported it because there was a threat that it was never going to come to Europe. I know. <laughs> but it's true. There was a period where I said this game's never come out over here this, because Atlas published it and Atlas is a tiny, tiny, tiny company and they said, well, that's never going to come over to Europe but then they saw it just exploded so they had to release yeah. it. So by the time it came out of here, like, damn it, I've already got a new US copy. Never mind, I'll just keep US copy. Uh, but I never really got into Dark Souls, oddly enough. Uh I must have got distracted by something shiny, um, but uh, yeah, I need to get onto to that because uh, yeah, my ability to play Ball when I played it resd the expo. You know resd, don't you? You know what that is?
1: Uh, I've heard the term. Where's where's resd?
0: Resd is a um, like it's a bit like PAX, and it's an expo, but it's run by Eurogamer, and it's for indie um, PC games primarily, but console oh. games too. But yeah, it's a very low key affair. But it's really, really fun. They, they have hundreds of games there. And uh, I have a terrific time just going from booth to booth to booth playing loads of weird and wonderful games. And um, there's one game called uh, Aerobat, which consisted of a little plane that would only fire when it starts to stall. It's bonkers. So it, it wouldn't fire any weapons. So you have to climb the, the airplane up and then cut the engines, and it fly fly out the sky while it's doing so, shooting all the enemies, 100% accuracy. And then in order to stop it from crashing, you have to fly off again. Bonkers. Is (laughs) it 2D or 3D? 2D. It's a lefty-righty shooter, kind of. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful game. Blue blue sky, clouds, sound effects are stunning. It's just so well done, but crazy. Um, But, yeah. What's it called? It's called uh, Aerobat. Aerobat, I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> to look it up, it's by a chap called Thu. T H E W. Yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. So, how do we get on to that? Oh, yeah, playing games and stuff. So, yes, you're into indie games and stuff, as am I. And uh, speaking of indie games, should we talk about Rack and Ruin? Sure. Let's do it. is Rack and Ruin. So
1: Rack and Ruin is a top-down action-adventure game that is sort of quasi-mixed with a sort of like a bullet hole shooter um, in sort of a twin-stick shooter-esque way. And you play as a little demon lord who's been basically runs around the galaxy at the command of his master to conquer worlds, but he doesn't conquer them, he blows them up because he's uh, basically a total minion of pure chaos. And his master is absolutely fed up with him And banishes him to one last little world, and if he doesn't corrupt it, he gets kicked to the abyss for eternity. And then, of course, the minute Rat gets there, he has absolutely no intention of doing what his master tells him because he is a being of chaos. He doesn't actually, you know, have reasoning skills. He just just does what he's intended, what he's what he's basically made to be. Right? He's just pure chaos. And he's
0: not a jerk. I mean, that's the thing. You could have easily made him into one, but he isn't, is he? He is no, a... sorry. So
1: when I wrote him, he's supposed to be like actually he never lies. He's not known to be like a conniving lying.
0: That's and... right, he doesn't, does he?
1: No, he never lies. He's not he doesn't tell a single lie in the entire Actually, he does. If he tells a lie, he immediately rebutes it as a joke. Yes. So he does he does tell a lie, but he then goes, "No, I'm just just kidding it's me." He's a full-face lie out like he won't he won't use it as a conniving trick. No. And he doesn't like anyone who wants to help him so there's like a character in the game who a human who turns coat it's not necessarily on the main path and he hates him because and he doesn't like the little minion who wants to help him he doesn't want anybody to help him um because he's doesn't really he's not a he's not conniving he's just wants to destroy everything because he's just a at the an essence of pure entropy right yeah so that's the gist of the character. He's supposed to be like evil that's just having fun doing it and doesn't have some sort of end goal in mind. He's just he just wants to have fun, blowing the crap out of everything. He wasn't bullied
0: at school or anything like that. He wasn't abused by his parents. He probably didn't have any. He's just <laughs> he's just pure. He is the very essence of chaotic evil, right?
1: Yeah, just pure chaos. Like, and not like doesn't want to assume power or has some sort of oh, complex plan.
0: No, no. So, <laughs>
1: and then and then, and the idea is that, like in these other worlds that he's blown up, like like there's probably a long story to each one of those. It's not like he just shows up and he shows up and he's actually quite frail, but slowly but surely um he you know because he's just this you know very focused thing, the world eventually crumbles with him there, yep. and that's kind of the idea of the game is that you play as an action adventure game, and then it doesn't when you play an action adventure game, you run around, you kill everything. And, you know, you're the hero, but you run around and kill everything, which is <laughs> what heroes do. Um, in this game, you run around and kill everything, and you're the bad guy, and then it makes sense. You're like, of course you'd be running around killing everything. Isn't that what you're doing when you're the bad guy? Yeah. Exactly.
0: It's it's a, the, the amount of murderous destruction you do as a hero, in inverted commas, is just the same as you would do if you were chao- chaotic. Evil is evil?
1: I mean... If from the morally subjective grey area, yeah. I
0: mean, if he was, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. yeah, so a chaotic bad. evil, he <laughs> so he is a chaotic evil creature, does would do the same thing, possibly with a little bit more style. It's yeah. true. Uh, he's got a great hat on with his, well, it's not his hat as is, he's actually his head, uh, with dirty, huge horns. I mean, he, uh, yeah, we'll talk about the art later on because I've got a specific question about the art, but yeah. He uh he does come across as quite not frightening but just disturbing. There you go, not in a sort of negative way, but you know what I mean. This is like he is what he looks like.
1: Yeah, he's supposed to be sort of almost like comical in his sort of presentation because um, there's like this idea that um, if you have like to make him sort of fun to play as or be, uh, if you make him all just a pile of self-loathing and darkness. It doesn't. It's not really fun at that point, right? Like if you just play a villain who's just like you know wallowing in his own self misery. So if you make him just kind of silly and kind of fun, like someone like you know the Joker, right? He yeah. just just a ball of you know like then it can can be kind of fun to come go along with the ride. I think the best villains, especially the ones you play, is work better if you are just kind of uh, you know a fun villain versus a you know a miserable self loathing type.
0: I do like his exchanges with various characters. Uh, there was one in a village, there was an old woman, and she said, oh, I'm very old. So she goes, actually, no, not, not not as old as me. I'm probably a few thousand years older than you. <laughs> and it's just like this, very, you're right, he's very honest, isn't he? He just doesn't know how to be, I mean, what, he's got nothing to gain from being dishonest, does he? As far as he's concerned.
1: Yeah, he doesn't like it's not really part of his his character type. Um and so the dialogue is is sort of meant for him to sort of be like, you know, like he talks to villagers and he just kind of like, you know, um he doesn't want to like torture them or anything. Like they're going to die anyways. Like they're not gonna, they're not a threat to me. I'm not here really to like so he just kind of, you know, has fun with them and laughs at them and pokes fun yeah. at them. Doesn't yeah. really worry about them. He just kind of and one of them I think he kills in the village because they he dares to try to sell him something. <laughs>
0: Oh dear. So, Rack and Ruin uses a lock on for targeting enemy creatures. Why did you adopt this over a twin stick system?
1: So, originally, um, the game is obviously developed on a PC. Um, mm-hmm. So, it's actually been co developed. So, it's actually the PC version is done. I just have to get it together and out the door and different platforms. And the PC if you play a twin stick shooter, it's keyboard and mouse, right? You just kind of click, and Rock shoots in that direction. And then I was build, developing, I was like, well, I want controller support, because this game would be a lot of fun to play in controller. And I was developing controller support, I was playing with twin stick shooter model, and I guess personally liked the lock-on, and uh, that may be developer Short Sight. We are actually going to add in twin stick <laughs> shooter support as of right now.
0: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> You're so, cause I so... Because I... The thing about Rack and Ruin, and it's not a negative thing, but it does it requires a certain amount of prior knowledge on the part of the player. You know, you should get this, right? You you've been here, right? You know all this look, it's a 2D plane and they can move in any direction. Go. What, what what are you worried about? Go on, do your thing. And it, it's you know, Biden of Isaac was a bit like that. Go on, off you go. Yes, it's a very dark, dark game. Very dark, but you know, you know what to do. Off you go, go on. And uh, I, I got that feeling with this is that you had to. I had to play it over initially several times before I got it. Um, like oh, and then it, everything fit together, and it clicked. And then I got completely engrossed. And before I knew it, I defeated the first boss and. It was just, you know, I had got lightning thing. That's not a spoiler, that's true. I mean, the first boss comes within the next within 10, 20 minutes of play, if that. So, yeah, that's my feedback to you and to, to listeners is that it's right now at its current state, at least in the PC version I've played, it's, it assumes a lot uh, on the player. And that's no bad thing. You know, not every game has to be hand-holding and tell you exactly what to do. But you're looking into that, I understand.
1: Yeah, so I'm very responsive to feedback, and um, so if someone says something about it, I'm probably going to try to fix it, <laughs> and um, I will respond to feedback, so this game, like if, there's, if a reviewer or anyone says an issue, I'm going to patch in the, and hopefully everyone doesn't have a problem with that. I mean, I, and,
0: find, I find the lock-on system actually quite comforting, let me explain myself. It just, you got this dirty great yellow marker that tells you what you're firing at. Okay, proceed to fire <laughs> and do so. And it's great. It works a treat.
1: And yeah, so we're not going to get rid of the lock-on system. We're going yeah. to just add in the option to switch to
0: yeah. it just Twin requires. Stick. Twin Stick requires you to aim. And that's what you do if you want to play this game as if it's, you know, Geometry Wars. That's fine because this game does require you to back the hell up, doesn't it? There's a lot of strafing and a lot of moving around the targets.
1: Yeah, was that deliberate? Yeah, I mean so the that's so that was a design challenge. So one of the design challenges is um is that is the game originally started as is a top down action adventure game, not necessarily Zelda just like Crystallis or any of those, but instead you play as a wizard. Um, and since most of those games you play as a do a clunky do with a sword. Um, yeah. and now you're gonna play as a, a wizard who has a huge right. arsenal of demon, firepower.
0: Yeah, a demon, really.
1: A demon wizard, but yeah. still, like, magic and, you know, like, you get big spell books, you can summon big spells and lightning that chains through enemies and...
0: Yeah, you can hit things, but not very hard. Yeah, and then... Yeah, he's yeah. literally, anyway, Sorry. The
1: sword is actually a mana regen tool, right? Yeah. Like, the, the point of the sword is not really is to affect the tool. It's more like, I just got, I ran out of lightning energy. Let me go, you know, put myself at risk... By using the sword to get my mana back up, and then I can go back to lightning and everything to death. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you, you, as, you're, as we're building it, I was like, oh, um, he he can it was, since he can shoot. Enemies need to be pretty aggressive because he can run away and just shoot them from a distance. If enemies. Uh, aren't aggressive or aren't – and this is where the sort of the shooter aspect came in where I was like, okay, so what we need is we're going to need some fun and and there's a visual beauty to bullet hell shooters. I really like the visual, the pattern, the mathematical visual beauty to filling the screen with all these pretty patterns, right? Yeah. And I said there's an artistic element to that that could be also a fun gameplay element is the wizards spray out these colorful patterns and then, then the player is is – the game becomes moving through the colorful patterns while shooting at them. So the reason for the lock-on is, is I'm filling the screen with all these colorful patterns, and I want the player to maneuver through them while shooting at the enemies and not have to worry so much about aiming, just being like, I got this wizard locked on, and then I could just weave through the patterns while I'm shooting to sort of create that. That's the idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, and, I really, really enjoyed that. I mean, it brought back lovely memories of our type.
1: Yeah. Art type, Ikaruga, Gradius, all those cool games.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. And and so, and then that's, and it gets even crazier later on. Like, some of the later boss fights, like, it starts to become, like, an old-school shooter boss where it's just, like, the screen's just full of crazy patterns. But then the art style, like, I, I if you see it from a picture, you'll just be like, why are there a bunch of yellow circles on the game? But when you see it <laughs> in the game, you're like, oh, it's sort of like an... There's an art to um to bullet hell patterns, which i really I really like that that um that sort of art i guess to the bullet patterns so that's sort where of that came from sort of that mixture of um the the, the, the physical functionality how that interacts with a a top down character who has a movability and can move around the screen very and 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 shoot them from afar and the enemy can unless the enemy is very fast and has crazy bullet patterns you can't really you know the player could just kite the game. All the way through, so it was is a balancing act of getting that that sort of gameplay and thing because there's not really anything like it, so it's sort of finding the right place. Um, so I came to the lock-on target, I guess, and that's sort of that's where the idea of the lock-on came, and that's where it's sort of come into its place now, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, I I I, I do agree with that. That's definitely there's a there's a whole mashup of genres here. Um, And that's not a bad thing, again, that's a a strength to the game. You've got bullet-held timing from, you know, lefty-righty, upy downy shooters, as they call them, or scrolling shooters, if you will. Um, And then you've got the Zelda mechanic where you you get stuff and you get equipment, and the more you progress through the game, the more abilities you get and the stronger you become. Not necessarily stronger, but just, you know, more agile and more flexible in your way to actually overcome uh, items and things. And um that's definitely evident. And there's other aspects in the game as well that that's I mean, one of the one I want to talk about is the inventory, because the inventory reminds me of Dota. It's quite complex. There's a lot of it. Um do you want to talk about how that evolved?
1: So the it's actually really interesting because um uh the the idea behind the inventory and the game's um item system is that the items are consumables. Many of the items are usable in one shot.
0: They are, yeah. Uh,
1: but you can sell them and buy different items, um, especially through the witch. I don't know if everyone knows that because it's probably not well tutorialized. You can <laughs> actually sell an item to her and she'll carry that item. So you'll be able to buy – You basically if you're saying, I just like eyeballs. These eyeballs are really good. I just want to use eyeballs. You can sell everything else in the game you find, get tons of money and just buy a ton of eyeballs.
0: I did not know that. I do know.
1: And that's that's sort of a a depth that probably is yeah. <laughs> uh, not well tutorialized. So if you like, I really like the turrets. Um, the turrets are pretty powerful, actually. Um, if you want a, t- a pro tip for if you want to just absolutely wreck every boss in the game, the turrets pretty much do it. Um, <laughs> just stick them. They down. wreck every boss in the go.
0: game. It's like it's like aliens. You know, when they stuck the turrets down, they did a good job of the aliens for a bit until they run out of ammo. So yeah. That's good. Good. Cool. I didn't do that by first boss. You know, it's the first boss.
1: It's the first boss. It doesn't really doesn't really apply to the first boss. But once you have all the items, and you can go back and find the merchants that sell them, or go to the the, the main merchant who will resell any item you sell to her, you can dupe items that way. You can stock up on any item you want, and pretty much wreck the game if you. And <laughs> information is always a thing. So if players don't know that, then. The information isn't out there, but there's isn't. There's this, supposed to be this ability where you can customize your – so that's why when you go to the inventory, you can set your hot bar with whatever items you want because you can be like, I don't actually use robot parts. I don't use the turrets. I like the eyeballs. I like the the little fairy wings that give me my mana back, yeah. and then I use that with my lightning, and I use just use fairy wings and eyeballs, and that's all I use. And you can just – you can sort of select what you want to use, which you think is the most effective output for your characters that's where the the inventory sort of came into be is this idea that the player can customize their item use loadout and that's why they're consumables because you can customize the setup but i think i probably need to tutorialize that better because i'm not sure everyone's aware of that
0: but again that's a bit like dark souls in that there's nothing really tutorialized than that either and you just have to discover this stuff for yourself and that's what's drawn me to your game, is the fact that you actually have to discover this stuff for yourself, because it gives it credits the player with some intelligence, and that's no bad thing. So, I hear what you're saying, you want to give as much information as you can, but there's nothing wrong with a little bit of secrets and easter eggs as well, you know.
1: Yeah, so this is, <laughs> the thing about secrets is, is there's, um, are you aware that there's an upgrade shop in the game that you can upgrade all
0: your weapons? I might not have encountered it yet. It's in the village.
1: So it's not in the village. So uh, there's actually in the in one of the corrupted zones – it's actually right there. In the, it's not hidden. Uh, it's right there in the middle of the map. If you corrupt a zone, it's right there in the middle of the map. Right. And if you go to that shop, you can upgrade your weapons. Um, and I you can make some of your weapons really overpowered <laughs> really early in the game if you know that shop is there. Um, right. Okay. If you don't know that shop is there, you might be like, why is my guy not very powerful – um and why is this lightning use up mana too fast? So as we say, we're going to try to improve the game. We're actually going to now, once you corrupt that zone, you're going to actually be able to teleport directly into that shop because there'll yeah. be a marker. I think, saying,
0: yeah, that that's a good idea. I think something like that is too core to not to to say, you know, not not tell people. But the stuff about selling things and then saying, well, they've sold it to them now, they can you can buy it back infinitely. That's cool. You can you can tell them or not. I still think that discovering that's kind of fun.
1: So um.
0: <laughs> so I want to ask you about the art style then, because you said you're an artist and the visuals are extremely well drawn for obvious reasons, because you are one. Um, how did you get about designing this fellow and the, and the world in which he inhabits? I mean, you've got bunnies, you've got knights in shining armor, and you've got slimes, all sorts of things. So tell us about... How that all came about in relatively short time.
1: So, when I first started making games on my own, one of the things that I wanted to do was to make 2D games that were high definition. There's a lot of cool pixel art, art out there, and I do love some good pixel art. But when I was really inspired by guys like um, the Vanillaware, um, and the way they do these really beautiful... The games are like paintings themselves. Right. I was really inspired by their work. I do love their work. And I was like, I'm going... I want to make... A game that is like a painting um I want to paint a game I want it to be I love these games where the players that's why I'm playing Valda story is this these, these some of these artists we, we get out there and they just paint the entire game and the game has this sort of like it, it feels like a painting and um so that was what I really wanted to achieve and there's some there's some um difficulties to overcome when you're doing a top down game do ten most of these uh hand painted games are actually side scrollers or side based yeah. because One of the big challenges is animation because hand – if you're going to do non-cell-shaded animation, um, it's very difficult to build each frame because you have to hand-render every frame. So the biggest probably like um, workload in the development of Rack and Rune was the fact that it has has a lot of enemies, lots of enemy variety, lots of big bosses. Rack has lots of – it's, it doesn't seem like he has a lot of frames of animation, be, but because he has a walk and a idle and a shoot and a swing and a laugh and all these different things and a jump, he has to do them from every single angle. Ah, yeah. You, and it's not eight directions because you can flip it, but it's still five, right? Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And and he's like got a, he's got. I mean, I think there's over three thousand, four thousand frames of animation in the game, and that's because there's. Um, and they're all hand, they're all rendered. Um, now, I, there's obviously some tricks you can use with, like, you know, pieces, but a lot of the parts, the arms and stuff, you have to redraw every frame.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was a huge workload. But yeah, the art style really came from my desire to hand paint a game inspired by guys like um, um, the team at Vanillaware and so forth.
0: My last question then. I know, sad, because we've been having a great time in the show. We've been enjoying our chat. But our last question is this, and I haven't answered this once from other developers, but for this game, I think it's something you it really would be good to get some, because it's based on what I've said earlier about prior knowledge. If there was one tip you would give to a new player, excluding explaining how to play the game, that aside, you know, so assuming they have all the tools, they know exactly how to play the game. What would the one thing you would tell them? Just the one. Just To help them get on their way. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Upgrade shop. Yes.
1: (laughs) Is in the corrupted field. (laughs) Monument field. Corrupt that zone. There's an upgrade shop there. For the love of God, use it.
0: (laughs) Okay, so that would be the one tip. Yeah. Okay, I mean... Uh, for me um uh my tip would be take your time just don't, don't don't rush it take your time there's no rush you know be 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 patient i think patience you're rewarded with patience in this game that's okay. my opinion so that's what i would say because not every game is like um run and gun some of them are and that's fine but they're usually infinite shoot infinite runners and you have to run and gun <laughs> but uh yeah so taylor it's been fantastic the game's out now in the u s in for the p s four it's coming out on other f- on other formats does I understand
1: so pc for sure um and obviously it's coming out in Europe on the p s four whenever I get my slot and yeah. we'll just put it out when it gets its slot and <laughs> it's all it's all translated ready to go and the pc version we I will start working on now I will start contacting everyone and get that ball rolling and trying to get it out on as many platforms as I can on the pc mac pc obviously and uh, and after that, that linux and see. windows
0: or just linux or just windows
1: Uh windows mac and i will see about linux i don't know much about that someone might want to help me <laughs>
0: <laughs> um the only reason i ask is a lot of friends mine including myself have uh, steam boxes underneath their tv so if you have a Oh
1: right, Steambox. Yeah. 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 Um. We'll um um. That's, we will make Steambox happen when Steambox yeah. is a thing that I can make happen.
0: Yeah, it's just Linux basically. If you have a game that's running on Linux, then it will work. So. Then
1: yeah, I will put it on Steambox
0: because <laughs> I do have one, but mine's a Windows-based one because I cheated. But uh, I just did, I wanted more games available on my Steam account rather than just about four of them. Now, that's not fair, but you know what I mean. Taylor, it's been fantastic having you on. Uh, oh, thank you. It's thank, been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for, for, for taking part. You're more than welcome to come back with, with another game we are working on. No doubt you are thinking of something else, aren't you? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, and uh, I do wish you the best of luck with the release uh, of, of this uh, terrific game. You really just have to, you know, to get drawn into the humour and the experience and what it, it it gives back? The more you put into it, it gives back tenfold. So that's that's a that's not something easily done. But you definitely achieved that with this game, and it's even pulled me away from Pillars of Eternity, which is quite a feat. So well done.
1: I'm about to get pulled two pillars of eternity. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tyler, thank you very much. All right, thank you, man. Have a good one. any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to the show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris@spong.com at hi